Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, a weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 379. A lot of people give Royal Caribbean a try, especially folks that used to cruise on Disney Cruise Line. And this is a double episode of first as we get someone trying not only Royal Caribbean, but a European cruise for the very first time. Here we go. Well, we're back with another cruise story, and this week we get to go on Oasis of the Seas. My goodness, I love Oasis of the Seas, and joining me to tell us about, to all of us, uh, this week's cruise story is Lauren Sullivan from Tennessee. Lauren, welcome to the podcast, and Rocky Top, I guess? (laughs) Yes, thank you, Matt. My husband will appreciate that. He is a Vols fan. Yes, my son is at Alabama, so we've got some family conflict going on there. But yes, my husband is a Vols fan. So. <laughs> I'm very well aware of how it works. I just know you're supposed to yell Rocky Top. And um, and I learned there are cadavers underneath the football stadium. So there are dead people in your stadium. Oh, I actually did not know that. I did know that there is like a body farm near Knoxville <laughs> where they do research on dead bodies. I did not know they were under the stadium. So that's that what, is new information to me. <laughs> I learned that on a roller Caribbean cruise. True story. Okay. So it must be true. <laughs> anyway, we're not here to talk about uh, the Vols because there's really not a whole lot to talk about lately. In <laughs> <laughs> that is true. <laughs> so instead, we will be talking about Royal Caribbean and uh, you went on Oasis of the Seas. We did. We did, which it was actually um june 2nd 2019 so it's been about a year and a half ago but it was a um i let my son he was going to be a senior then and he graduated this year in 2020 this was going to be a um senior trip for him he got to pick where we were going to go and i'm really glad that we went ahead and did it in 2019 because if we had waited until after he graduated we would not have gone on a cruise for graduation so i'm glad i don't know how i knew that we needed to do that ahead of his senior year but we did so i'm really thankful for that nice and obviously with everything going on man it's a hindsight glad you did that so nice way to nice way to kind of you know always when you're cruising with the family always a good excuse anyway but obviously yes. uh having a chance to cruise together and to be able to celebrate really anything it could be <laughs> it could be we made it through another month <laughs> celebration yes. and, and <laughs> that, that would be true. worthwhile so how did that you how did you settle on oasis how did you pick oasis um we had previously sailed with Disney four times. Um, and we had also done one Norwegian cruise line sailing, which that one was one that was, um, in Hawaii that sails, um, the Hawaiian islands, but we had done two Bahamian with Disney on the magic and the dream in 2012. And then in 2013, we did a seven night wonder to Alaska. And in 2014, we did a Western Caribbean on the wonder again. So we love Disney cruise line, Um, It was fantastic, but when I started looking at Europe, um, for one thing, my children had grown up a little bit, and I just felt like they would love the Oasis-class ships. I felt like the activities and just the size of the ship and the offerings and all of that, I thought that that would really appeal to them being teenagers. They were 14 and 17 at the time, Um, and also we could get two staterooms for less than one stateroom. And when you have teenagers, um, they take up a lot more room in a stateroom. So it was really an easy choice for us. Even though we love Disney Cruise Line, it was an easy choice for us to try out Oasis of the Seas. So that is that was the decision that we made. 
Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I've told this story on the podcast many times, and Lauren, I think you're keenly aware of this as well. But, you know, I started cruising with Disney. That was our introduction. We loved it. But, uh, you know, for us, it was really, I think, it, for us, it was just the price gap, especially when you go to some of those more exotic itineraries. Boy, you really see the differences. Alaska is definitely one of them. Yes. And uh, the Med can, can certainly stand out as well. So, you know, money saved and, and, you know, obviously all those things you mentioned as well in terms of what they offer on board. It's certainly a compelling choice. So um, I'm, I'm with you 100% on that. Yes, it was, it was a perfect choice for the stage of life we were in and just for money and the itinerary is great and it was perfect. So. Cool. So um, obviously going to Europe, that, that's a big step. Had you been to Europe before? We had not. So that was, that was exciting. And this is a little weird. I don't know how much you want to delve into this, but I really, really, really wanted to sail out of Rome. Okay. Um, and they did offer some sailings out of Rome, but um, they were $3,000 more expensive than the sailings out of Barcelona because the ones out of Rome were later in the summer. And so, of course, you had a, a higher level of demand for those sailings because they were when everyone was out of school and all of those types of things. So, but I didn't want just one day in Rome in terms of one port day. So we got a little creative and I decided if we could do it cheaper for $3,000 cheaper out of Barcelona, we could always fly to Rome and then spend less than $200 on Ryanair to fly for our whole family to fly from Rome to Barcelona. So we actually ended up going to Rome for four or five days before the cruise, flying to Barcelona and sailing from there. So even though we had not been to Europe, we jumped in with both feet and explored multiple regions on one trip. So nice. Well, you know, it's, uh, listen, there are many ways to, to make a European trip work. And uh, I don't think that there's anything that's wrong per se. It's just a matter of what works for you and your family. So you made it work. And and it's funny because you mentioned this. I totally forgot that Oasis was in Europe. Uh, the, The reason why Oasis was in Europe at this particular time, this was 2018, you said, right? 2019. 2019. It was right before the amplification of Oasis. That's right. It was, yes. So Symphony, I think Symphony had been there the summer before because it had just, its first summer Symphony was in Europe before it came to the U.S. And then Oasis was there the next summer and then it was amplified right after the summer was over, I believe. Correct. And uh, Allure was supposed to go there this year, 2020. Well, it did go there, but of course there were no cruises in Europe this year, so that didn't happen. And uh, theoretically next year, a Harmony of the Seas is supposed to do the exact same thing. So if you're listening to this podcast, it's like, wow, this sounds great. Even though we haven't heard Lawrence say anything great, but we'll, we'll get to that <laughs> point. But uh, if it sounds great later on, Harmony is doing the exact same thing where she's going for her five-year refurbishment and then subsequently cruising the med. Uh, this could be something you could look into. So, all right, let's, uh, you're, you get to, uh, you get to your cruise ship here on the Oasis of the Seas. what do you think of Oasis? It was beautiful. And we, um, embarkation was smooth. We got there, I think between 1030 and 11 in the morning, we walked right on the ship. Of course, we walked into the promenade, which is, you know, completely different than the atrium on a Disney ship. You know, there was a much more lively vibe and music playing and all of that. Um, We walked, we were pretty early getting on. So we walked around and explored. We went through Central Park. We went up you know, to check out the flow rider and we played a round of mini golf and all of that and just checked everything out. And it was gorgeous. I, I also was really surprised with the size that it did not feel 
as big as I thought that it would. I think mm. that they've laid it out very well. And I felt like it was very easy to navigate and to find your way around with, you know, from the buttons in the elevator to signage and all of that. It really was not difficult to figure out where we were and where we wanted to go. I, I really liked the layout of the ship. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that. You know, a lot of people, whether they're just new to cruising or especially Disney fans, because I'm very keenly aware of people who uh, certainly start their cruising off with Disney and then they see or hear about rather, I think, you know, ships like Oasis class ships and they're like, wow, that's got to be massive because, you know, an Oasis class ship compared to even the largest Disney cruise line ship is a, is a pretty big difference. Yeah. But it's like you just said, Lauren, it's, it's very manageable. It is not just this giant uh, cruise ship that goes on forever. You know, it's very much, um, here's what I'm going to give this a Disney, uh, comparison here or a metaphor. It's a lot like the magic kingdom where you have different, you have neighborhoods, just like you have lands yeah. in the magic kingdom. It's not just one giant theme park that goes on and on and on. You, they break it apart. They make it more tangible, easy to navigate. And that's kind of how the cruise ships are as well. Yes. I, I, we really, really like that. And to be honest, my husband and I have preferred, we preferred the smaller ships with Disney to our kids like the dream the best, but I just felt like it just felt like there were fewer people on board and it felt like the pool deck was less crowded and it felt like Castaway Key was less crowded, but I did not feel like the size of Oasis equated to a crowded feeling at all because there was so much to offer that the crowds were dispersed throughout the ship and you never felt like, oh, I'm on here with 6,000 people. Like it just didn't feel that way to, to me, so. Yeah, I, I'm I'm glad to hear that it that it worked out for you, and that obviously it was very manageable. So that's always a good thing. I think that I hope that helps put some people's minds at ease. Whether again they're new to Royal Caribbean or just haven't done an Oasis class ship, that despite its size, it is not the um you know it, it it's not the end all be all. The size as as Yoda you know said, don't judge it by its size. That's not what he said. It's I'm paraphrasing <laughs> Yoda. Don't send me emails. I know that he didn't actually. He says it in his Yoda speak, but yeah. Anyway. Um, it's not all just about the size of the ship, but there is a, a lot to, to like about it. And let me ask you this also, since you did come from Disney, not only the size of the ship, but what did you think, Lauren, of the of the differences? Kind of the, I guess, I don't want to call it adjustments, but like, you know, how was it, you know, was it more of an extension? Did you feel like already, like you kind of knew how it worked because you'd been on other cruise ships before? You know, like that transition from Disney to Royal Caribbean, still being on a cruise ship, but obviously different lines. How did you, uh, how did you see that kind of transition? I definitely think that once you have cruised once, it's easier to just get the feel for ships. I mean, you know, a lot of times dining establishments, the buffet, those kinds of things tend to be towards the back of the ship, entertainment, things like theaters and things like that tend to be towards the front of the ship. So I think once you have sailed, it's easy to have that comfort level across cruise lines. Um, but I just, I, it was, it was an easy transition and I felt like, you know, there's things that I still love about Disney, but I, I felt like Royal ship was beautiful in its own way and comfortable and fun. And so it was an easy transition. Good. I'm glad to hear that. That's uh that that's fantastic news there. So obviously you're, you're on, by the way, did you, I forget if you mentioned uh, what type of stateroom did you have for the sailing? <laughs> We had um, two staterooms. We had a Central Park interior stateroom and we had a balcony stateroom across the hall. And that was fantastic. I was so impressed. I, I personally 
cannot stay in interior state rooms because I just have to have some natural light. Um, but I love, and, and I stayed in the balcony stateroom, but I loved the Central Park interior, having that window with that, there's a window seat with the cushion in it. I loved the layout of that ship. And it was so nice to have a room that was at a more interior price level that had natural light in it. And I, I just love Central Park. I thought it was so beautiful and peaceful. And so we kind of had, we could go across the hall. We had the benefit of having the balcony on one room. And then we also could go to the our other room across the hall and have the view of Central Park. So that was very nice. I We really liked both of our staterooms. And I have to say too, I love the bathroom. You know, we didn't have a split bathroom like we did on Disney, but the bathroom was a really nice size. And we had been in Rome for quite a while. And, you know, one of the things about Europe is you realize how big we do everything in the United States and how new everything is in the United States. And in the apartment that we stayed in in Rome, the shower was tiny. It was tiny. And when we got into the cruise ship bathroom and the shower felt big, it was like, oh, wow, that the bathroom in Rome was really, really small. It's the cruise ship shower. But I just, I, I loved that it had a shower door and not a shower curtain. I felt like everything was spacious. And it was great. I really liked the staterooms a lot. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I could, I could totally see that happening with the, I've heard, I've never been to Europe, but I've heard those uh, type of stories. So I'm not uh, terribly surprised to hear that, but it's, it, you definitely need it the right way. I, I would imagine if you're going to have a really small shower and very large, you want to have it go with the small one first and then move up to the big one rather than the other way around. So that's great to hear. And of course, you also took advantage of one of my favorite tips to do for families, which is to try to get two rooms rather than try to cram into one room. Yes. And we're at the point now with, I mean, my, my son is now 18. He was 17. He's bigger than I am. So to put four adult sized people in one room that it were, we will never do that ever again. So we're at the point now where we will have, um, two rooms. Yeah. If we all go together. Yeah. That makes sense. Absolutely. Um, so remind me, you, obviously you're in Rome and you're getting on, uh, Oasis of the Seas here. Which ports uh, were you set to visit on this cruise? Yes. And we actually got on in Barcelona. We flew from Rome to Barcelona and then we, we sailed from Barcelona to Palma de Mallorca, which is an, it's a Spanish Island. Mm -hmm. Um, then we sailed to Marseille, France. We sailed to La Spezia, which is some people go visit Florence and Pisa from La Spezia. We chose to go to the Cinque Terre region. And then uh, we went to Rome, um, uh, Naples and Pompeii, and then we had a sea day. And then back to Barcelona. Interesting. What was your favorite port stop of, of the ball? No question. La Spezia was my favorite. Um, I had looked forward to visiting the Cinque Terre region, which... Uh, it's just these five little Italian villages that are nestled in the cliffs next to the Mediterranean Sea. I had looked forward to visiting that for as long as we had booked the cruise. And before that, we actually um, hiked from one of the villages to another one. I would have done more, but my 14-year-old daughter does not share her mother's love for being outside and hiking. And so sometimes you have to ne negotiate things when you're all together. So um, I pretty much told her this is going to be my favorite day of the whole trip. Please do not 
complain about the hike the whole time. So um, I, I, she had some concessions and she got some things she wanted to do also on the trip. That was for me, that was the best. Being hiking on the Mediterranean Sea, having these terraced vineyards that we were walking through. There was even one point where a man, an Italian man was just out in the, on this hike playing his violin and singing. And I was like, okay, that is very Italian. I mean, it was just beautiful. And it was by far my favorite day of the, of the sailing. Yeah. That's a, I I know as a parent, I know exactly that conversation (laughs) you had where this is, and this can apply to a lot of different things, not just excursions, but just like, okay, we both know what's going to happen, but we need, I need you like, (laughs) this is for two hours. I need you to just (laughs) contain yourself. Yep. (laughs) Yes. And uh, yes. yeah, do what has to happen. So yes, I know that conversation all too well, but I'm glad to hear that it worked out and that it was everything that you hoped for. Um, I mean, I, there's so many things to do in Europe on a cruise yes. and having to pick, I mean, it must be like, you know, uh, it, I mean, it, it's, there's every port presents, you know, three or four things easily off the bat that are compelling choices. Yes, yes absolutely. And it was, you know, it's, that was one of the reasons why we chose to do a land portion at the beginning, because for instance, you have one port day in Rome and there was just no way that I could decide what thing, one thing that we were going to do. And, you know, I, I would highly recommend too, when we were talking about the shower thing earlier, what really worked well for us and, you know, maybe for other people, it would work differently, but I really was glad that we did the land portion first because the land portion was much more um, exhausting. You kind of were in this new element that you weren't as familiar with. And when we got on the ship, we still were exploring. We still were seeing new things, but it kind of had a comfort of home type feeling and some familiarity to it that once we had already been gone for a week, it was so nice on that second week to have that feeling of kind of, being home kind of, it was really, really nice. So I, I enjoyed that aspect of being on the ship also. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I probably the worst part about a European cruise, you want to call it the worst part is, I mean, you really have very little time on, you have little sea days, I should say, compared to the Caribbean. Yes. And we actually, the day that we were in Rome, we made that our own sea day because we had already been in Rome prior to the sailing. And so the day that the ship was docked in Civitavecchia, instead of going into Rome, we did the flow rider and the rock climbing wall and the zip line and all of that. And it was perfect because most of the people were off the ship and we were able to enjoy all of those things. Good. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, absolutely. So, that was fun. Nice. Um, when you were, so what did you do in the uh, other ports that you were there for? Uh, obviously you mentioned um, in, in addition to what I'm trying yes. to think how you pronounce it because I want to call it Lespizia. It's not Lespizia. Les- well, do I don't. I don't know that I'm saying it correctly. Oh. I said Lespezia, but I don't really know. I it sounds right. It, so. <laughs> <laughs> you said it. I was like, wow, that must be how she says it. That's how you're supposed to pronounce. I, I do do not speak Italian, but I think that's how you pronounce it. But I certainly can be wrong. So yes, the first. Well, we we started in Barcelona. We visited La Grada, uh, La Sagrada Familia, which is a cathedral there. Which that was amazing. It was just beautiful it's um designed by a architect named gaudi who is who passed away 100 years ago and they're actually still building the cathedral but it was absolutely beautiful and i i probably will pronounce this wrong my husband and my son actually went 
to the soccer, uh, the Barcelona soccer field, which I think is Camp New, but maybe it's now it's NOU. And my daughter and I did a bike tour, um, which she and I love doing bike tours in ports. Um, my husband and son do not share that love. So we divided up and went and did things that we would all enjoy. So that was all of those things we enjoyed in Barcelona. Um, the, the second day we were in um, Palma de Mallorca, we were so exhausted. We had been gone from home for eight days, I guess, at that point, nine days maybe. And we just stayed on the ship and just enjoyed. We sat on the deck. My husband and son played basketball. Um, I think we ate at Johnny Rockets that day and we just relaxed. Um, We went and played trivia. So we just needed a down day at that point. Um, Marseille, my husband and son decided they wanted another down day, which I'm like, no, we're in Europe. We have to go do something. But my daughter and I, and I, I will probably butcher this as well. We went on a tour. It was a small group tour um, to Aix and Provence and uh, the seaside village of Cassis or Cassis. I, I'm not sure how to say that. Aix has like, you know, this provincial French village type, you know, I, my daughter had been Belle in a musical just before in a school musical. She was Belle just before the trip. And I embarrassed her thoroughly by going through the marketplace singing the song that Belle sings at the beginning of Beauty and the Beast. So when you do that with your teenager, you embarrass them, of course, but um, that was beautiful. Um, Then Cassis or Cassie, I'm not exactly sure how you say it. It's on the Mediterranean Sea and there are these granite sea cliffs. It almost made me feel like Yosemite by the ocean. Um, And we took a boat tour (laughs) which this was funny. We were, you know, there are just customs that are different. We went out on this boat to go see these cliffs and all of a sudden we could see this man swimming out in the Mediterranean sea. And as we got closer, my daughter was like, mom, he doesn't have any clothes on. And sure enough, he was swimming. And I was like, Oh, we don't see that at our, at our beaches. So um, that was, funny for all of us in the boat. Um, but you know, um, so that, that was a beautiful day. We thoroughly enjoyed that as well. Um, Rome, we stayed on the ship because we had been to Rome already. Um, it is for people who are interested, it is about 45 minutes from the port to Rome. So it is important to make sure that you're planning things that you can get back in time because it is a long drive to get into Rome itself from the port. Um, And then we went to Naples and we went to see Pompeii. Um, That was what we had done. We had kind of splurged on this trip and we had done several small group um, excursions. And on the Naples day, I decided to save a little money and we did a large group excursion on that day. And I probably will not do that. <laughs> will not do that again if I can help it. It was that was the one day that it was hot. Um, we were on a large tour bus. We got to Pompeii and we were in this huge group and it was crowded. Um, and then on the way back, the bus did not have air. The oh. driver could not figure out how to turn the air conditioner on. And you know, in Europe itself, air conditioning is not as common as it is here, but I live in the South and we need air conditioning. And we were so hot on the bus and there was traffic and all of that. And I was like, 
oh, it would have been nice to have just been, you know, in this small group of six or eight people and they could have whisked us back. And, you know, it, it's just easier to get around when you're in a smaller group of people. So yeah. I would definitely say for some of those large tourist sites, if you can swing a smaller group tour, like we did that at the Coliseum and several places throughout the trip, it was worth every penny to do that because you just can get in and out faster. The crowds are more manageable. The transportation is more comfortable. And I was really wishing we had done that differently, but Pompeii itself was amazing. Um, It's one of those places that it's really cool, but it's also very sad. So you have this kind of weird mix of emotions as you think about the volcano erupting and all those people being there and just, you know, instantly being covered in ash and everything. So it's kind of one of those weird, okay, this is amazing, but also emotional type things. But we were very glad that we visited there. So every, every place was filled with more than we can do and see. And I would highly recommend that itinerary to anyone. So although I would say um, Europe itself is not, I kept thinking about my in-laws. It is not friendly for people who are struggling with mobility. Um, everything is very old. The, there's lots of cobblestone. Um, that would be difficult to navigate if, if that's an issue for somebody. I, I thought of that a lot because my father-in-law was in a wheelchair um, for a long time. And that would have been... I, I don't know how to manage that. It would be difficult, but it was beautiful and amazing and wonderful. So, yeah, absolutely. That leads me to my last question for you, which is that, you know, you've obviously cruised the Caribbean and you're now you cruise Europe here. So what would be your advice for anybody who's going on their first European cruise, uh, provided they've, they've cruised before here in North America? I think that, European cruises and lots of cruises in different parts of the world are so heavily port focused. And that's great because you want to soak in everything you can. I tend to be the kind of person that is more tempted to over schedule. Um, so I would say that, especially if you're traveling with even a small group or a large group, picking things that are your, are that, are most important to you and not trying to cram too much in. I think we all, you know, you, you go on a Caribbean itinerary and some of that relaxation and stress-free attitude is built into that just because of the nature of the itinerary. Whereas when you get into Europe and you're trying to see so much and do so much, it can also leave you exhausted. So I would say to make sure that you kind of like at Disney world, make sure that you leave some time for nap breaks and, um, and rest and time to just decompress. And I, I would say this, that was probably the first cruise, you know, my kids were 14 and 17 where dinner became my favorite part of the day, because when you have teenagers, things are so busy and it was so nice on the cruise for us all just to sit down and have dinner together every night. And that was very special to me. Um, so just having make make sure you have some time to chill, despite the fact that you want to cram in every single site that you can. So there you go. Well, Lauren, thank you again for for joining us here and and sharing your experience. Sounds like a great cruise, and I, I'm hoping, uh, as you're probably aware, we do have 
our first European cruise coming up in uh, 2021. Fingers crossed it will happen. Uh, it's a Royal Caribbean blog group cruise. Granted, we're not going to the Med. Uh, we're going to be going a little less sweaty destination of Norway, but still, uh, I'm excited to do Europe and be able to, you know, see all the, I've heard so many things about Europe in general. And obviously it's a, it's a, it's a large, but not large continent in the same, there's lots to do there. And I'm excited yeah. to finally get that under my belt and, and kind of tackle some of the stuff. So I appreciate you sharing your experiences and your tips as well for anyone else who's considering doing a European cruise. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about it.